News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. And we sure do tonight. I've got a cracking lineup coming for you. Uh, Jelan Glovu, the Chief Executive of Tungela Resources. Uh, we can see him in our uh, virtual studio. Jelan, good to have you on the program. I suppose you're getting used to coming in uh, above the parapet now, although you've been Chief Executive for what was Anglo Coal. Now it's uh, this new listing that we'll be seeing in July. I guess interviews are your thing. Yeah, th- thanks, uh, Alec. Um, yeah, it's interesting to be able to talk to the broader audience about who we are as Tungela. Uh, we're going to be finding lots more out about you and what you're going to be doing with all that lovely lolly that we believe should be uh, flowing through the, the business in the next little while. Of course, this being Monday, our co-host, our guest co-host, David Shapiro, uh, looking as dapper as ever, Dave. Yeah, interesting day today. And uh, lovely to see commodity prices doing what they're doing. And, you know, for South Africa, it's it's great. Alec, I don't know if you picked up, but you must look at the bond market, which will give you an indication of money flowing in and rates going down at a time we were worried about a, mo- a moody uh, downgrade again, which has just been brushed aside. So a lot of interesting uh, things happening in the market. Well, it's almost like those ratings agencies are now old news, aren't they? Uh, downgrades are us here in South Africa. We'll also be talking to Rudolf Ferri, another interesting company, Raubex, which has spectacularly increased its order book from around 10 billion rand a year ago to 17 billion rand today. That means they've been picking up a lot of market share, lots of... Uh, Presumably, they're mainly a roads business, so they must have had a lot of new contracts that were awarded to them via Sanrail. Um, Our roads are are getting nicer, and uh, hopefully the tourists are going to come and use them pretty soon. We'll also be talking later in this uh, program about, well, quite a shock that we saw in the Sunday Times, page three. Dave, do you still read the Sunday Times every week? You know, the strange thing is that I was driving home yesterday and there's a, a, a gentleman who I run past every day and he just saw me in my mini and he shoved the Sunday Times. He says, yeah, you've got to buy it from me and he put it in my window. And it's the first time I've read it in, in, in months. But um, I normally look at it online, but uh, this was the first time I got a copy of it and, and, sla- and I pushed through my window. Good <laughs> issue. Unfortunately for us, uh, Spoo... Uh, Shabalala, Chief Executive of Adapt IT, has hit the headlines for all the wrong reasons. It appears as though there was, he took armed men into his uh, estranged wife's home in Zimbabwe, beat up her boyfriend. Ah, an ugly, ugly story. But Justin, it's had an impact on the share price. 13% down today. I mean, the one thing that really caught my eye was that it just seems a little bit out of character. I mean, Sabu's been in the studio with us once or twice. He's going through the midst of of corporate action like we haven't seen before with the huge offer, with the Valaris offer. How is this for timing? Let's hope this can get resolved um, very soon, but it is a very serious allegation. And... um, Let's see what happens from here. What's happened? Has he stepped down? He stepped down. So he's taken a three-month break. And Tiffany Dunstan, uh, the ex-chief operating officer, is the interim CEO. What bad timing that certainly was. Uh, but all round, it's in the, in the media. Did we? I know you've been chasing him all day to try and get him to talk. 
Has he got another side of the story? No, I, I didn't follow up to that extent. I, I asked him to be a part of the show. He couldn't. He said that his attorneys are currently drafting responses to the allegations, and that was about it. Mm, horrible, horrible allegations. But we will be talking to Ernest Kaplan and finding out from Ernest, who's our go-to guy when it comes to anything tech, why the share price of Adapt IT would react so dramatically, and indeed whether uh, those who like to buy when everybody else is fearful or be greedy when everyone else is fearful uh, will be jumping into those shares. Certainly uh, we're expecting Tungela is going to be one of those situations coming uh, into the future. But we'll talk to July and Lovo about that in a while. First up, as always, let's pick up with our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, on today's Flash Briefing. The South African rand continued to strengthen on Monday, breaking through the 14 rand to the U.S. dollar mark. Treasury One currency strategist Andre Salier told BizNews he thinks the rand could strengthen further. It's a commodity story. It's a story of the trade surplus. We've had numbers out from the government saying that the tax collections uh, looks better and the deficit as a percentage of GDP is much lower as they anticipated in the beginning. So that helps. It's been below 14 this morning and I think we will most probably see it going below 14 again this week. And I would not be surprised to see it moving into the direction of the 1380 levels. And I think then we will change our range trading that we have and and move into a new range of 1380 to 1440. South African presidents attended the ceremony to open the $260 million Kazungula Bridge between Botswana and Zambia near the quadri point that links those countries with Namibia and Zimbabwe. The 923-metre road and rail bridge offers a faster and cheaper alternative to a route via Bight Bridge on Zimbabwe's border with South Africa. Botswana President Mokwitsi Masisi and Zambian President Edgar Lungu presided over the ceremony on Monday, while the Democratic Republic of Congo President Felix Chisikedi, Mozambican President Philip Nusi and Zimbabwean President Emerson Mangagwa also attended the ceremony. President Cyril Ramaphosa has warned against vaccine apartheid in his weekly letter to citizens. He says that vaccines need to be viewed as a global public good and the intellectual property, knowledge, technology and data related to COVID-19 vaccines should be available to all. South Africa and India have recently submitted proposals on the World Trade Organization's agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights that would allow for a temporary waiver of certain aspects. This would mean wider access to the technologies needed to produce vaccines and medicines. He's quoted as saying, A situation in which the populations of advanced rich countries are safely inoculated, while millions in poorer countries die in the queue, would be tantamount to vaccine apartheid. It will set a devastating precedent in our quest to realise a more egalitarian world and our ability to handle future pandemics. South African pharmacist Clicks says it plans to acquire 25 in-store pharmacies, their drug stocks and staff from retailer Pick and Pay. In a joint statement, the companies say the sale, which is subject to regulatory approvals, would not have a material impact on the earnings or financial position of either of them. Clicks plans to rebrand the pharmacies, while Pick and Pay says its small pharmacy division was not part of its future growth strategy. Turning to world markets, technology stocks tumbled at the start of the week after ending last week with the S&P 500 and Dow Jones Industrial Average at fresh records. Business premium partner The Wall Street Journal notes that stocks have ground higher in recent days after Federal Reserve officials reiterated their commitment 
to easing financial conditions to aid the economic recovery. President Biden is proposing additional fiscal spending and a weaker-than-expected jobs report last week boosted optimism that the government and central bank are likely to continue with supportive policies. And that brings to a close your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For more on those and the other big stories of the day, do head over to biznewsradio.com. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, you've told us, Justin, all about Adept IT being one of the big losers today. What else went on in the markets? And I'll repeat that. The JSE All Share Index was lower at 68,400. NASPIS was down over 100 Rand to 3,225 Rand a share, as 10 cent was weaker in Hong Kong this morning. Kumba up 17 Rand to over 700 bucks a share, as iron ore keeps making new highs. Adapt IT plummeted 13% to 6 Rand 20 as founder and CEO Subusha Balala stepped down following serious allegations against his estranged wife's partner. Diversified miner Glencore was up 3% to 65 rand a share as commodities across the board continue to increase. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 14 rand 02 to the dollar, 19 rand 82 to the pound and 17 rand 05 to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,837 an ounce. Brent crude is slightly lower at $68.20 a barrel and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 800,000 rand. And this... Market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Jelaine Lovo is the chief executive of what used to be Angler Coal, now is called Tungela Resources. Big, big job that you've got, uh, have had for a long time, but Becoming the CEO of a substantial listed company, I guess, is going to change your life. How do your family feel about this? Well, uh, we've looked at, we've looked forward to it for a while, uh, so we've known that it's coming, uh, and um, uh, that I'm going to live in a glass house for a change. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, you know, they look forward to that work. It's been going on for a long time, as you say. I was looking back at Biz News 2017. Uh, there was people like uh, Putumontleko, uh, Jabu Mabuza, and then, of course, the guys at Sariti Resources were all putting in bids. They wanted to take Anglo's coal division off Anglo-Americans' hands. That's four years ago. Uh, so the whole process must have been quite uh, distracting for the management team. How did you manage or how were you able to continue with the business when you've got this big overhang? I think we've been on, 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 on two different processes, one which you completed in 2019 and this one. Uh, what we did, we looked at our portfolio way back in 2015 and decided we actually wanted to create an export-focused business. And to do that, what we're going to do is to exit uh, our ESCOM tied business. That's the business that we actually had in 2015, a significant volume supplying ESCOM. We exited that part of the business and that's what created Serity. And we also exited the uh, Greenfield projects that go with that. Once that had been complete, we then decided 
given what is actually quite an interesting uh, synergy that was beginning to develop in Anglo-American, where you would find uh, shareholders who look at Anglo-American and say it's holding thermal core assets in their portfolio, but actually we don't want to hold thermal core. And yet it's actually quite small. It was quite small in Anglo sense, 4% of their, their earnings. And then there were people who wanted to have exposure to thermal core, but again, they couldn't buy the Anglos because, again, 4% is too small. And that dissynergy uh, became an issue, and we needed to be able to make a decision. And that's when, in 2019, we decided, actually, uh, these two businesses would be better off uh, going their separate ways, strategically beginning to chart their businesses. Mm. So although we've been talking about um, reducing Anglos um, th- coal uh, holdings since 2015, we actually have been in two separate processes during that period. I like the way you put it uh, because it's very different to the way that they're talking in London. In London, they're saying, get rid of your coal. Uh, Anglo, no. you're, a, you're a London Stock Exchange listed company. We don't like this, uh, this asset that you've got in South Africa and indeed in Colombia as well. It sounds to us a little bit like what happened with Neil Froneman when Goldfields got rid of it, most of its South African assets and put it into uh, the company now called Sibanya Stillwater, which originally was sold like crazy by the foreigners. But had anybody had half a brain, they would have bought in there and, and made a multiple on their money. Do you think you're going to see something similar happening when your stock lists on the JSE uh, on July the 7th? I suspect there are similarities given that um, the one that you just quoted became a single commodity, single country um, entity. And therefore, from an investment point of view, some, there are similarities. Uh, we are single commodity, single country um, enterprise, and therefore I would expect some shareholders uh, who don't want to hold um, a single commodity, single country, uh, even coal, uh, sell our share. But you find people who actually uh, find our story far more attractive. We are an export business, uh, generating very attractive cash flows. We have we are, we are a very competitive position uh, with mature infrastructure. And for that reason, I think I'll see people who come and buy our share going forward. July. July, keeping on the theme of Neil Freinemann, he was on the program on Thursday and he said that if he was a little bit younger, he'd love to be the CEO of a coal mining business in South Africa. This makes me excited about Singela as an investment proposition. Just give us the investment case and also give us the details of how the spin-off is going to work on 7th July. So the, the investment thesis is very simple. We repositioned and resized our business to become an export business. And that gives us very good exposure to the export markets. And if you look at the export markets, and, and my, my take really is to give you the facts. Actually, the, the, the market dynamics are looking far more positive going forward. If you look at, and, and we disclosed this in our pre-listing statement, by the way, that Hood McKenzie have done some work for us which suggests that between now and 2030-2035, demand for coal is going to remain flat to slightly growing, actually, as power demand in the markets that we serve is growing. But that is against the backdrop of declining um, mine production with limited investment going into that um, uh, investment. 
And now with the assets that we have, which are in the lower part of the cost curve, um, producing very high quality code, because that's the work that we did since 2015, to upgrade the portfolio that we've got to become much higher grade with a portfolio like that, which is in the right part of the cost curve, which is very competitive, with very good infrastructure, very efficient operations. Uh, as a, The team that I lead has been together uh, for a while. We know our assets. I mean, these guys have delivered excellent results even during the downturn. We are well positioned uh, to take advantage of the improved market conditions. In fact, if you look at the quarter that has just gone by, the prices that we averaged were $90, which is what we saw last in 2018. And if you look at what we said in the previous statement in 2018, we were generating a lot of cash flows. And I look forward to doing that going forward. David, when Anglo um, spins off its subsidiaries, usually there's quite a big advantage for the subsidiary in an immediate sense. <laughs> the head office doesn't grab so much of the cash anymore. Uh, are, are you looking for a bit of a bonanza here uh, in that regard? It's always happened. Whenever they've spun off something, the, you know, you, it's worth looking at the companies that they do spin off. And we've had so many um, instances of this in the platinum industry, in the gold industry, wherever it's even in industry. <laughs> Remember when they when, when uh, they were an industrial giant? I mean, the eighties and nineties, and and then fo- began to focus on mining all over again. But I think July puts a very strong case in in uh, the markets that they and help me in this sense, uh, July. You know, the markets that they export to are still coal consumers and will be, which I would imagine is Asia, uh, China, India, et cetera. It's going to take a long time before they're able to wean themselves, um, you know, off uh, coal-powered fire stations and so, uh, um, sorry, energy uh, power stations. And and there's big margin, you know, there's big margin in doing this. And as Wood McKenzie said, you know, there's going to be declining supply, which means um, there's going to be increased demand from from July's, uh, um, you know, business. So coal has always been very interesting. As long as I've been around, it's been the, the kind of companies that would give you 10 12% dividend yields, you know. It's a dirty business. If you pick up a piece of coal, you dirty your hands. But I promise yeah. you, the money that they get, <laughs> the my, returns they make. Um, David, my father was a boilermaker on Kilbarchen coal yeah. mine for many years. Yeah. And then Schlaban Coleman. So I know what a dirty business it is. When he came home and he would, he was always needed free baths to be able to get uh, get all the coal dust out. But July, that's uh, that's that's the game, isn't it? That, that's the only point where um, the consumers of the product that I produce would differ with you guys. Coal doesn't have to be dirty. Coal with the right technology is actually quite a clean uh, clean commodity. But David is right. Now, we supply into the Far East, east um, uh, the Pacific base in countries like India, China. Interestingly, with the spot between uh, Australia and China, we've been able to place South African coal into China for the first time in a few years, which actually bodes well for, for the demand for our type of coal. We're selling our coal into places like Pakistan, Vietnam, uh, North Africa and the Middle East, for instance. And these are places where the need for getting rid of energy poverty is still significant. Just to pick up on what Neil Froneman was saying the other day, what J- Justin mentioned a moment ago, 
with all the cash flow that you're getting from coal, what are you going to do with it? Are you looking to invest it in other energy sources? So what we've said very simply is that in the first two to three years, my absolute focus is to set this business up as a, as a successful, sustainable, standalone business. Then we have shared with uh, the market the way we're thinking about our, our capital allocation. The first priority being to sustain and making sure that we protect the integrity of our assets. The second priority being to uh, put some money aside to deal with our, our environmental liabilities. We call it the green fund. Um, sorry, the pun, but actually we mean it. Because part of the responsibility that we've got is to close these mines responsibly. Then the third priority is to return cash to shareholders. Although we've announced 30%, we've said very clearly, our preference would be to increase that based on our cash generation potential. We don't have to make a decision in terms of uh, extending the life of our mines or going anywhere else uh, outside of our, our core in the short term. I would say over the next two to three years, what you should watch us doing is running our assets, making sure that each asset is performing to its full potential, generating cash flows, and, and making sure that our, our, our stakeholders are happy. July, it's no secret that Exara and Eskom have a bit of a rocky relationship. I know you said that you solely focused on exports, but is there not an opportunity to eat your competitors' lunch there? If, if, if there is good margin, uh, what, what determines the customer we sell to uh, is nothing other than what gives the best margin for a call. I would look at it. And what about Optimum Mine? We know it's gone through uh, Glencore, Gupta's, Business Rescue. Now that you're going to be sitting on a, a substantial asset base, would you be looking to buy that big coal mine and perhaps re-enter that way into the Eskom market? That doesn't cross our mind, uh, Alec. <laughs> it's not an asset we have looked at at the moment, so I wouldn't even uh, consider it just yet. By the way, we have got substantially more attractive options internally before I look outside. Jelan Glovo is the chief executive of Tungela Resources. Uh, David, we've got to keep, uh, keep our eyes on this one. Um, when you consider that none other than Neil Froneman is telling us to have a close look, particularly after all the foreigners start selling, as they're likely to do, uh, that, that'll be, that'll, it could be another Sabanya. He understands minds that uh, make money on the stuff that they produce. You know, in other words, that they they uh, sell it for more than it costs them, and they put money in the bank. So he understands those kind of businesses. And who knows if it is a if it is a super cycle that we're entering now? Mm. Very interesting uh, prospect. We're going to be talking in a moment to Rudolf Ferry of Robex. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, Dave, you know the construction sector. It has been a wipeout over the past few years. There's really two good companies left. The one is Wilson Bailey. The other one is Robex. And we could see that with Robex's financial results today, the way the share prices run. Uh, good to have you on the show, Rudolph. Did you think this time last year that you'd be virtually doubling your share price in 12 months, given that, that uh, the challenges that you'd had to face uh, from an operational perspective? Uh, we've, uh, I think uh, you might be muting yourself on your side, 
Rudolph, perhaps you could unmute yourself on, on your side. You, you're fine here. Okay, well, while, while Rudolph uh, attends to that, because we're not able to hear him in our virtual studio, Dave, just to give you a little bit of the background on this company, financial results were out today. Rudolph, let's see. Have we got you? No, still not hearing you. Um, the financial year to end February, their revenue was up very slightly. Uh, operating profit down 24%. Operating profit margin. I mean, how's this for a company that uh, generates what's around $8 billion in turnover? Operating profit margin. Operating, not bottom line. Operating, 4.1%. Down from 5.5%. So for every 100 rand in, in construction or in roads that they build, they only get 4 rand uh, in profit. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really tough business. Very tough because the contracts haven't been there. You know, when you haven't got contracts and you have to uh, battle for them, um, it, it's it's the kind of um, it's the kind of cycles that construction goes through. But you know, they've survived; they've done pretty well. And I mean, if you read through the result, if you look at the second half, things are happening. Particularly, um, you know, if you look at that order book, and I mean, that's virtually doubled. Um, I didn't go through every element of it, but I always there's another one you've watched, and the the, the three that I watch. You know, we always liked Wilson Bailey, but you've got Robex and you've got Afrimat. And both yeah. of them have changed their direction and have adapted to uh, to change circumstances. And they're coming out okay. Rudolph, I, I, think we, yeah. I think we got you now. That order book up from $11 billion to $17 billion. Yeah, so first is to unpack. You, you can't really look much into the figures last year. It was heavily impacted by covid uh, we didn't work for three months. Um, so, we, you know, we, we showed quite a strong recovery the second half, uh, which we would like to believe with a song order book, which we just mentioned, we could, uh, you know, build on that going forward. So hopefully it will be better than four cents in the hand going forward, uh, Alex. Uh, but the order book, you know, what's very encouraging is the order book. So, we, uh, we've seen that government is spending money on infrastructure, Sanral, um, uh, on the housing side, public works. Uh, we, we were quite pleased with uh, Zim Borders, by Big Border Post, which is our biggest contract ever. It's a two and a half billion rand contract uh, upgrading the border post. So uh, going forward, hopefully it will, you know, as I said, will be better. And what's quite encouraging, as we sit here, even that with that order book, there's quite a lot of tender activity at the moment in the construction space. Uh, certainly levels which I've not seen in my 30 years before, uh, land-wise. So hopefully, you know, going forward, uh, we could see the construction industry lifting its head. Now, remember the construction industry come off such a low base. We had no work for three years. Uh, we managed to survive. We managed to keep our balance sheet intact. And hopefully we're in a good position now to leverage of that going forward. Just tell us a little more about Bitebridge. And, and I want you to explain this in the context of the money that you lost further north uh, on, the, uh, on the Cameroon shopping center that you say in your results you lost nearly 100 million rand on that. So you go into Bitebridge. You've, you've done 100 million rand on an Africa project. This is now working with the Zimbabweans to a large degree. Are you, uh, are, are you then asking for upfront guarantees for money in the bank before you do anything? 
Now, I need to unpack this to, for you to understand the risk profile, and I'll touch on Cameroon as well. Uh, so, by brief, border post is a contract, it's a concession contract, and the banks, and it's mainly South African banks, is our client, and we're getting paid in dollars. We do the project from Messina, from the South African side, so we see it is is really a home type of project. Um, so there's no risk um, as a, as a client that defaults on payment because the banks, the African banks, is our client paying us as a as part of the concession contract. So and the risk profile is a bit different. Um, and the work we're doing there is basically work we do day to day. It's buildings, uh, parking areas, access roads. Reservoirs, dams, uh, housing, that type of work. So it really suits our profile and, and we consider it to be close to home. Cameroon was unfortunately different. It was a mall we built in uh, Douala. Uh, so, you know, 12 months ago we had experienced problems with uh, getting our equipment and, and, and stock and materials imported. We, had some logistic delays, so um, that caused a delay. But then, obviously, COVID happened. And for six months, we were in, locked out of Cameroon. Our people were stuck inside. We couldn't get out, and we couldn't get people from this side in to commission and complete them all, and that caused... Uh, so a big portion, 60-odd million rand of that loss was just because of COVID. Now... Unfortunately, what we've seen now, working in Africa because of COVID and access because of boundaries, you know, we've had similar problems in Mozambique, uh, Botswana, Namibia. Uh, so that was, a, so, you know, for that reason, we decided to pull out of Cameroon, uh, but we got a bit of a different sentiment on the border because it's much closer to, to home. The problem working in Africa is you, there's nothing. So you need to commission everything from your elevators, your aircon, uh, your lifts, everything. Now, the advantage we got in Baitbrief, we're sourcing it from Joburg, which is mm. basically a few hours away. So it's quite a big, big difference. What about the corruption issue? Uh, I know a lot of people who do work in West Africa and elsewhere on the continent. And you mentioned your logistics. It was a, it, it it was delayed in logistics, but that's that's like a typical corruption business. If you want to get your container to the place where the container is, you've got to cross somebody's palm with silver. And we know that this is a reality. Did this play part in your decision to leave that project, or indeed in the delays pre-COVID that you faced? Yeah. So. We didn't experience anything to that extent, but what we did uh, experience is the lack of ability to execute um, importation, that type of thing. So, you know, going forward, we will not operate in countries where we've got this type of logistics. So it was actually at the uh, immigration, the import material, the stuff got stuck at harbor for two months, so we were never off, uh, asked for, for bribe money, uh, but they were certainly not. 
<laughs> Come on, Rudolf. You could have facilitated that uh, not being stuck in the harbour for two months. This is the real world we're talking about here. We know that ShopRite have pulled out for similar reasons. Uh, and that's, that's really, you, you, you don't want to sit here and say, oh, everything's cool. You don't have to, to bribe anybody. And then the next guy listening to this goes in there and, uh, and he's faced with that issue. It's a reality. Yeah. How it works on the importation, we normally use a certified agent to do the importation on okay. our behalf. Okay. Okay, so, so the certified we, agent. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> Ru- Rudolph, uh, as Alec was saying, this is just a common theme. Doing business in Africa seems extremely tough, as you've highlighted, and, and South Africa included. I know you guys are looking to grow your business in Australia. Uh, tell, us what's that, tell us what's going on there, and is business a bit easier in that part of the world? You see, what we like about Australia, it's a very regulated market, with the rules the same to everybody, okay? So it makes uh, planning and, and management much easier. Now, we, Australia is not a big portion of our business, about 10%, but we showed quite good results this past year, so growing quite nicely with a decent margin. So we would like to develop that. Uh, so we're not, you know, not organically. We're not going to do new acquisition, major acquisitions there. But Australia, what makes a difference, we are a, a smaller type of contractor in Australia, not as big as here, uh, because we believe it's less competitive. We're in a very specialized, specialized mar- uh, market in Australia, and we will com- continue to focus on a, special, in a specialized uh, client base there. Um, so we're not doing the major design and build construction jobs. So to give you an idea, we typically do 100 to 150 million rand type of contracts, um, which is on a much smaller scale as what we're doing here. It's a brilliant story, uh, Robex, in the last 10 years since you've been running the company, or 11 years since you've been running the company. Are you uh, able to give us some insight into the way that the pipeline looks for the industry as a whole? We we know Robex, you've, you've given us your order book from 10 billion to 17 billion, which is extraordinary. How much of that is the, the growth in infrastructure generally? And how much of that is you just winning the contracts because there's no Group 5, there's no Basil Reed, there's uh, Avenge and, and Murray and Roberts are pretty much on their knees. So the competition seems to, well, much of the competition seems to have faded away. Yeah. So there's still quite a strong private sector uh, of private contractors. It's quite strong. That's keeping the market very competitive still at the moment. But as soon as they reach the capacity, hopefully we'll, we'll start seeing a, a less competitive market. So the margins is still under pressure, but the pipeline is huge. So on top of what we, we got on order book, and that's only contracts which we got and started working on, we're still waiting for some more projects. And as we speak, we're bidding on a, quite a number of projects, uh, quite in the order of about 20 billion in the last month, which we're busy bidding in South Africa. So it, it's for the first time, you know, we can actually see a bit of pipeline uh, going forward. That's extraordinary. Uh, you've got a, an order book that's gone from 10 to 17. If you win all those contracts, you'd go to 37 billion. Uh, how many of those are you likely to, to, to be happy with? In other words, how much capacity do you have uh, to put those on your books? Yeah, no, so we're not going to get 20 billion. Let me make that clear. Because 
So what we're trying to do is to price it now more selectively, to take, to take to try and get jobs with a lower risk profile, uh, with higher margins. So hopefully, you know, going forward, we, we should still get part of that work, but we're not going to get most of that work now. Just to contact us to get busy first. Just to close off with your revenues in the past year was up by one percent. Are you expecting yes. that it'll be a very different story in the year uh, to February 2022? Very different because uh, of a current order book. Remember, and hopefully we won't have any lockdowns. So, you know, very different in the sense that we will be able to work for 12 months. We're looking forward to some projects returns. So hopefully that will be some good margin work going forward. Uh, so we're looking at the much stronger next next financial year. But remember now we're coming off a very low base. And just broadly speaking, the new road contracts that you've won, can you – can you tell us a little bit about them so that we know where the new roads are coming in South Africa? Yeah, so what's quite interesting, a lot of the big projects, so we were awarded three projects and all of 1.5 billion and each. It's all on that Durban Pietermersburg corridor, which needs an urgent upgrade. Uh, so most of the work is going to happen there. Uh, then the Malotto corridor, and, uh, which is up north here at Pretoria. And then the other one, uh, which we uh, haven't tended on, is the Wild Coast Corridor and the projects uh, there. So there's some exciting projects coming across. David, before we let uh, Rudolf go, have you got a question? Yeah, my question is is around what we're seeing in the commodity markets at the moment. Um, They're all pointing towards more and more infrastructure globally. You know, the demand is not only coming from China, it's coming from America, from Europe as well. Um, Of course, that's going to mean a lot more business for mining companies um, and a lot more business for a lot of our, um, for for industry here. Are you seeing this coming through? You know, you're not directly in the mining industry, but I would imagine that there will be some spillover into all the construction firms if this area does progress at the rate that we think it's going to progress? Very much so, David. So what we do do in our companies, we do material handling and, and, and crushing for the mining companies. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I've seen now the mining houses put out some big projects for us to tender on in that field. Uh, so we're busy pricing three big mining jobs in South Africa, which is either new mines or, and we're seeing a lot of smaller um, expansion and project from the mines. So again, which we haven't seen for the last three years, we, uh, so this is not included in our order book. We're still busy pricing it, uh, and, and uh, you know, obviously we will see who gets it. But there's certainly a lot more activity in the mining uh, sector at the moment. We've got a couple of questions from our community on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, here's a one from David Melville. He says that Robex bought a strategic stake in Bauber Resources, 147 million shares. thinks it's about 35%. What's the strategy here and how will Robex benefit? Okay, so this is exactly one of the smaller ones. So this is, it was not a big acquisition. It was 58 million. So this is exactly what I've alluded to. So it's, it's, it's a mine in the Rissenberg area. Uh, which we now get a share in. Uh, it's a minority share, but it 
we got first right of refusal to do the mining materials handling. So that's exactly what we, the type of work we would like to do going forward. 55 million rand, 30%. And then Ray Wolpe wants to know, what is uh, Rudolph's views on growth opportunities in Africa in 2022 to 2023? In other words, next year and the year thereafter. So Africa, there's not much happening at the moment. We're not going to focus on Africa because of all this work in South Africa. We think we get better margins. And we've paid a bit of school money now out there, obviously, as you mentioned, Cameroon. So we will prefer to focus here. But we don't see a lot of activity in Africa at the moment, to be quite honest. Uh, so ex- excluding the Zim border post, we believe our Africa order book will actually drop. But obviously, the order book site will increase quite substantially. So good talking with you. Thanks for your time today and for gracing us with your presence, Rudolf. Sorry about the, uh, the, the not being able to pick you up immediately, but uh, you, you're great value. We look forward to talking to you in a year's time to find out how uh, this financial year went. David, I'm sure the numbers are going to be a heck of a lot stronger with the growth from everything that we've heard. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's exciting time. I don't think we built it in to a lot of industries. I don't think people understand the, uh, the consequences of, of the kind of mining boom. You know, that's how we make money in South Africa. So much industry is related to, uh, to mining. So whether it's a baller world selling Caterpillar or whatever it is, I, you know, I, I, I don't think we fully priced uh, where this is taking us. You're listening to the BizNews Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, we are right into 12J season at the moment. Uh, 12J is a tax incentive investment which ends at the end of June. It's been so popular that Treasury effectively has actually closed the window. But you've got until the end of June to participate. And so we're running webinars every Wednesday at noon. This week, we have Jaltech's John T. Sachs, David, the son of Monica Singer. You remember Monica from Straight? Yeah, of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I can tell you what, the apple hasn't fallen far from, from that straight. tree. Yeah, Monica, quite a quite exceptional uh, business person here in South Africa. Anyway, John T. Is, is Monica's son. And Gaurav Nair, they'll be unpacking the appeal of what was the top-performing 12J investment in both 2019 and 2020. Very easy to register. Go into BizNews. You'll see down the right-hand side there is a uh, little uh, logo that you can click on and then register for the webinar. It's free, but you must register beforehand. Ernest Kaplan joins us now on – what a story, Ernest. Uh, This is really kind of shaking the two of us uh, here, Justin and I. Spooza, he's a gentleman. Aspu Shabalala, Adapt RT's chief executive, or certainly appears to be. And then we read in the Sunday Times that he took thugs into the Zimbali home that he owns, that his estranged wife lives in with her new uh, companion, and uh, beat, beat up the companion. And there's a court case going on here, which is just ugly, ugly, ugly. And as Justin told us, just repeat that. What did the share price go down by? They lost 13%. 13%. Ernest, are investors panicking or is there good reason uh, for the shares to give up what must be 100, 100 million plus uh, in, in value? Yeah, Alec, I mean, I think when I saw this news, um, somebody forwarded it to me on my phone. 
yesterday. I actually read it and thought I was reading something from uh, from space. I mean, I, I couldn't actually. I, I couldn't even. Con- I couldn't understand it. I mean, you know, I've known Spoo for about ten years, and as you say, he's a very he's a professional guy. He's very softly spoken. Um, he certainly has never given me an impression that he's a violent person or, you know, if anything, you could say he's a bit too soft. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not easy to even comprehend. So I think if we translate it to the share price, I mean, you've got to bear in mind that ADAPT-IT is in the midst of potentially being um, acquired and has two offers on the table. One is a, is a cash deal from HUGE, um, a local company, and the others a sorry a, a share deal, and the one's a cash deal from the the giant overseas constellation. And I mean, here we go in the middle. I mean, they, they they've been extending and asking for more time, and and now the CEO um, they've announced that he's going going to take a, a leave of absence for three months. So this can't be good, um, whichever way you look at it. Um, because, you know, he's been at the group for a long time. He's obviously done a lot of good things, and uh, he's got a team around him, and now suddenly you just remove him. I mean, you know, look, he's not operationally involved in all the underlying businesses, so I'm pretty sure that that there will be – things will continue. It's not like if if you take him out for a while, the whole business collapses. But I I do think this is a major, major – um, unknown factor and a major shock and surprise. Uh, so it has to be negative, you know. Yeah, and so I completely agree. For all shareholders, uh, very negative um, thing that's come out in the last few days. Just with regards to adapt our T share price over the past few weeks, we've seen it constantly trade above that six rand fifty mark. The Valaris offer around the seven rand. That's that's almost six seven percent higher. Is there speculation that both offers might be rejected and they might stay on as a listed entity, or or what is that all about? I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, you know, all I know is that when I do my values on the company, six rand fifty seems pretty, pretty much reasonable. I mean, it's 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 a bit low, maybe, but it seems reasonable. And and the only thing is that you know that that's if you're a minority shareholder. But if you're going to buy control of the company, you're going to have to pay some kind of premium. So, you know, I don't think that's been factored into the 650. And I think that if you look at Constellation, um, you know, they like the Warren Buffett of software. So they go and they buy things, I wouldn't say cheaply, but, but at a fair price. So they don't like to overpay for anything. But I do think they need to uh, up it. And I don't think it's going to – I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but I seriously don't think an extra rand or two is going to make any difference to their balance sheet. But I guess what's uh, now happened in the past, um, well, in the public domain yeah. in the past 48 hours, uh, when you hit page three of the Sunday Times, it's not a good place to be when it's a negative story like this one. David, have you had anything in your long career uh, in, in following the markets and following companies here <laughs> in South Africa, have you seen anything approaching this kind of uh, drama and controversy? We've had lots of controversies um, surrounding people, but not not necessarily their personal life or n- nothing like this. 
there might have been fraud or they might have uncovered fraud in a company. We've seen many instances like this. But I, I'm just hoping that Cebu, I, I, I join uh, everyone here in saying, you know, he's a soft-spoken man. He's always come across as a very decent gentleman. I mean, I was on the show when, we, when you interviewed him with the Valaris um, uh, offer. And uh, we were joking about how much money he was going to put in the bank. I'm hoping that there is an explanation and that there's, there's something that comes out of it in the next three months that perhaps does uh, you know, give him some validity to, to what happened. But it, it, it's difficulty. Where I'm worried and where I'm showing, you know, expressing concern is that Valaris or uh, Constellation do not want to be associated with any incident like this. They tend to say thank you very much and they withdraw. Even huge will do the same. Somewhere down the line, they might pick up the assets, but I think it's going to be very difficult for them to continue um, as long as he's around or associated. So uh, I'm concerned about that side of it. You know, Sabu might have to go. He might have to resign, sell his shares, do something like that if they are going to continue and pick up the assets. The last thing you want to do is go to the boardroom and be faced with uh, angry shareholders saying, how can you continue? How can you have this person with you? You know, And, and that, that's a sad side of all of this. Uh, the closest that I can remember was when Bob Aldworth had a affair with Sandra van der Merwe. Uh, here was this, this banker who, who was very quiet and calm and, sh- and this – uh, sexy university professor who uh, who swept him off his feet. Unfortunately, he also invested in her company with uh, what is now First Rand's money. So th- that's that's the closest. But that wasn't that was salacious, but not not violent. Whereas this is hopefully this is not this is we asked Spoo, uh, or rather Justin asked him. Said, please give us your side of the story. He's working on a statement. Maybe the witnesses who've sworn to this aren't telling the truth. I guess that's, that would be the best outcome for shareholders. Uh, I, think, I think you're right in that respect. And that's what I'm saying. You know, he's got three months. Um, I think people will stand back, hold back, and see, well, what is his defense? What really happened? Uh, I know the Sunday Times can sometimes uh, dramatize issues and that, and there might be an explanation. I'm hoping there is. Not look, somebody, uh, you know, the the strange uh, wife's boyfriend is in, in critical condition. You know, violence is always something that you want to avoid. But I have to just tell you, I was unpacking some pictures the other day, and you know, just um, going through old stuff, and I found a caricature I had done of Bob Oldworth, um, which I still retain in my. You know, I've always been doing drawing as a hobby. And Sandra had actually asked me to do that. She many, many years ago, she had commissioned me to draw Bob. And I, I wondered, you know, et cetera. I never got paid. I've still got the drawing. I think the, the news broke after that. So they were also so on the front page of the Sunday Times. Yeah. I've got one. Uh, Ernest, uh, as far as the rest of the, of the tech sector is concerned, uh, Justin and I were talking earlier about what's going on in the U.S. We've seen spectacular results coming out of the fangs, uh, but also some, yeah. some big share sales from people like uh, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, who, who sold, I think it was nearly $5 billion worth of shares. Okay, he's, he's worth a multiple of that, but you still got to get a little concerned when you see the founder offloading. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I didn't, uh, it's funny, I didn't actually see that one. I've been focused on all the results coming out. And uh, I think the general comment I'll make, uh, and by the way, the market is tanking overseas right now. Um, A lot of these high growth stocks that were pushed to really unexplainable multiples, you know, we're talking price to sales multiples of 50 to 100, not PE, price to sales. So it sort of reminds us of what happened in the dot-com bubble. The only difference is that these companies are real companies and they're actually doing very well and uh, they could easily make profits if they wanted to. They're just reinvesting a lot of it back in to grow further. And what we're seeing is that most of the companies, almost without fail, just like the fangs, even the smaller ones and mid-sized ones, have done incredibly well, you know, growing revenues at 50 to 100%. Um, and, uh, and yet their shares are, are coming down. And I think it's just really, a, a, personally, I think it's an adjustment because I think those valuations got too high. So over the next two to three years, I still think, a lot of these companies um, are going to are going to do well. Maybe their share prices won't do as well because multiples will come down, but uh, the businesses are going to do well. Um, this is the way uh, things are going. There's no question about it. Ernest Kaplan, uh, thank you very much as always for giving us your insights uh, and what Ernest was saying. Now, just having a look at some of the stocks, Tesla down four percent. Uh, Cloudflare down 5%, Spotify down 3.5%, Twitter down 3%. Jeepers, maybe uh, maybe Dr. Richard Smith, uh, he told us about Twitter and Peloton a, li- a little early. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to ask uh, Ernest's opinion on those. So Dr. Smith is a U.S. investment analyst, is very articulate and gives a compelling investment cases. Peloton, he thought, uh, emer- an emerging tech player that's been hit hard recently. And uh, Ernest, I follow you on Twitter, so I know you follow these emerging tech names. What are your thoughts on, on the fitness uh, counter? Oh, by the way, Peloton's yeah. up today, up by 3%. So, so well done, Dr. Smith, yeah. on that one. No, I think, you know, Peloton is basically making something new that nobody's ever done, really. Um, you know, and I like it a lot. I've never bought the share, um, and the thing just ran up, and... And, and now it's come down. And I think the big concern is, you know, here's a company that's got to ship physical bikes that weigh like huge amounts of money. And are people going to spend that amount of money? Their bikes are two to $3,000 and then $40 a month. So it's not cheap. And, you know, the gyms are starting to open up. And I believe there's a, there's a, there's a good portion of the public that would like to use this type of thing to save time. But it doesn't mean that every single person uh, is going to have it. So I'd be a bit careful, you know, um, with them. And they've got a lot to still do. They need a second, third, and fourth act over the next five years. And we don't know if they'll be the next Apple. Let's see. What about Twitter? Twitter's great. um, But, uh, you know, I... I'm not, I'm not, you know, they're they're not that big, you know, Um, you know, it's not a Facebook um, and, you know, the advertising I see on Twitter is not really all that impactful, um, everything, you know, I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I know there's arguments that they're turning things around, but it's not, it's not, it's not something, 
it's probably going to do well, but this is not like a giant in the making. You know, this is not a, a Facebook number two sort of thing. Well, a word or two of caution there from Ernest Kaplan. Thanks, Ernest. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Justin, markets today here in South Africa, and I've got uh, U.S. markets if you want. Perfect. The JCL share index was low at 68,400. NASP is down over 100 rand to 3,225 rand a share as 10 cent was weak in Hong Kong this morning. Kumba up 7 rand to over 700 bucks a share as iron ore keeps making new highs. Adapt IT plummeted 13% to 6 rand 20 as founder and CEO Subhu Shabalala stepped down following serious allegations against his estranged wife's partner. Diversified miner Glencore was up 3% to 65 rand a share as commodities across the board continue to increase. In the currency markets, the rand was stronger against all the major currencies to 14 rand 02 to the dollar, 19 rand 82 to the pound, and 17 rand 05 to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,837 an ounce. Brent crude is low at $68.20 a barrel, and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 800,000 rand a Bitcoin. And uh, in the U.S. markets, Apple's down well, one and a third percent. Netflix is down one and a quarter. Microsoft slightly lower, half a percent down. Amazon down two percent today. Uh, some of the smaller stocks over there uh, have also taken a bit of a hit. I mentioned earlier, uh, Cloudflare down five percent. Spotify three and a half percent. Twitter three percent. And the mighty Tesla down by four percent. So Ernest uh, tipping us off there that the U.S. markets are and, uh, well, in, I won't say in trouble, but they certainly are having a down day. This market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. All right, David, before we depart, uh, are you going to use this pullback in uh, U.S. tech stocks mm. as an opportunity to purchase more? In certain areas, I think as we get this uh, economy opening up, you're still going to get people advertising. And uh, the two vehicles for advertising still remain Facebook and Google. Um, they're under a bit of pressure today. But then you've also got fintech, which is becoming a new uh, area. You know, people are going to go out and spend. So I don't think all is lost uh, in that. The strange thing today, the Dow is very strong at another new Hi, you know, as as you get this rotation into the so-called, um, you know, value plays. So it's, it's you know, that's what's happening in the U.S. But as Ernest, you know, pointed out, it's such a tremendous run last year. There has to be room for profit taking. Google or Alphabet uh, is down one and two third percent. Facebook down three mm-hmm. percent just to close off all of that. Well, thanks for being with us on the Biz News Power Hour. We're on air every night from 5.30 to 6.30 uh, on Fine Music Radio in Cape Town, worldwide through biznewsradio.com. Very easy to just put it into your, into your browser and you'll see, uh, you can click on it and get live uh, the live feed there. And we're also on Facebook, uh, Facebook. We're also on YouTube, on BizNews TV. And the best way to do that, put BizNews TV into your browser uh, on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and we will send you a reminder every evening. Uh, and come and join us. Come and have a look at how the sausage is made here in the studio. And you can see good-looking guys like uh, Justin, David, and 
Ernest Kaplan, and tonight we had uh, July and Lovu and uh, uh, Rudolf Ferri uh, on the screen so that you can follow exactly what's going on in our virtual studio as well as in our uh, live or physical studio. Good to be with you. We'll be back again, same time, same place, tomorrow. Until then, from the team here at BizNews, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at BizNews.